Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to see you all on Christmas morning. Merry Christmas to you all. And uh, today, as uh, Blake was reading, I have a happy sermon today, sermon of joy, sermon about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're not going to get to His actual birth. We're going to be looking at the promise of His birth today. And I have found such joy in studying this text during the week. And I'm excited to deliver what the Lord has laid on my heart for you today. But let's, let's thank the Lord for this Christmas day before we, we start here. Lord, thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you that we remember Christmas. We remember the birth of our great Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that again and again and again we can celebrate this until the day we see Him face to face in all His glory. We think of Isaiah who says... Then you will see the King in His beauty. And Lord, we long for that, that moment where we'll set our eyes on the beauty of the Christ. The beauty of our great Lord Jesus Christ who loved us enough to become man. For the Word to become flesh. To make His dwelling among us. To live among us for more than three decades. And eventually to die as our substitute and sacrifice. To bring us to God. What a wonderful, wonderful story. Lord, there's, there's none of us who could write a story that has such beautiful, beautiful outlines. And Lord, I pray that as we just slow down today and we stop for a moment, we look at this one moment as the angel Gabriel speaks to Mary. Help us, Lord, to just drink in the beauty of these moments. We pray that you would help us, Lord, open our minds, open our hearts. Help us to see these few words as so beautiful. And we just pray these things, Lord, as we commend ourselves into your hands. In Jesus' lovely name. Amen. So, guys, let's, um, let's just have a look at a few verses today. And those verses are from Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And all we're having a look at today is these few verses from verse 26 to verse 33. And I'm not even going to look at all of those verses. The main focus of what I'm... Speaking about today is just from two verses, really. You know, 31, verses 31 and 32. So everything else is going to be context, but I, I just have one focus on these couple of verses here. So if we read that, let's just read these amazing words. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says, In the sixth month, God sent the, the, uh, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words 
and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And what a kingdom is that? I mean, none of us have ever seen a kingdom in this world that will never end. There's so much here. There's so many beautiful moments in this text. But maybe I could just start with the first couple of verses that we read there, verses 26 and 27. So you've got this little town in Galilee, a little place pretty much is nowhere in, in the great scheme of things in the world. Nazareth was not a looked up to place. It was sort of considered a bit of a slum, you know, a place where, you know, in Africa where Totsis live, you know, Totsi town, you could call it. And it was just a place where nobody wanted to go on holiday. It was a place where you go from if you were going somewhere more beautiful on holiday. So Nazareth was not a beautiful, wonderful town. And I think we all know that. I mean, we've, we've done Christmas so many times and we, I think we've come to know that Nazareth was not a beautiful holiday destination. But isn't it amazing that God sends the angel Gabriel to this one woman in this little town of Nazareth and he comes to speak to her. God sends this angel. God sends his messenger, this angelos. You know, he sends him to Mary to speak to Mary. And it's, it's remarkable, these little details that Luke gives us, that she's pledged, in verse 27, she's pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who is a descendant of David, and she's a virgin. So this angel is speaking to this woman in Nazareth, and we know for sure that Luke has set us up with all of these details so that what is coming is going to be more spectacular. And in verse 28, you notice the angel speaks to this young girl, this young virgin. She's, you know, by all of our guesses, you know, based on culture at the time, she, she's probably somewhere between 15 and 17 years old. And can you imagine maybe washing some clothes or, you know, maybe planting some vegetables in the garden or walking or making a meal and suddenly an angel of the Lord appears to you? I mean, what a shock. As this angel comes to Mary and speaks directly to her as a person. This is not just an angel like Blake was reading a moment ago about these, you know, the angels appearing to this group of shepherds. And it wasn't this real highly personal thing. This, this angel from the Lord appears to this one young lady. And can you imagine the moments of that? This angel appearing to her and saying, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. What's your first response when an angel from the Lord comes to you and says that? Of course, first it's like, you know, you gasp or whatever you do. Or you're, if you're a lady, maybe you get weak at the knees. But then when the angel speaks to you and says, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. You want to say, who? Me? Why me? Why has the favor of the Lord fallen upon me personally? You know, what about him? What about her? You know, why, did, why would an angel of the Lord come to me specifically and speak to me a very personal, a highly personal message to me? And there's something very surprising 
about this specific message. And I haven't, I haven't seen this before until I slowed down when I was doing my syntactical analysis of this text. I was looking at it and I was thinking to myself, this, this is, there's more here than meets the eye. Notice what it says there in the, in the next verse, in verse 29. It says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words. She was greatly troubled at his words. And she wondered what kind of greeting this might be. What was Mary troubled about? Was she troubled that an angel from heaven had just appeared before her and started speaking to her? Or was she frightened about the appearance of the angel? Or was she concerned about the words that the angel spoke? Mary was greatly troubled at his words. That is, that is amazing. I would have thought this young girl would have been freaked out because an angel came from heaven. But she's, she's troubled, she's greatly troubled at the words of this angel. We can't miss that. That is important. And why is she troubled at his words? She wonders, what kind of greeting is this? Why would an angel come and say these words to me? You are highly favored. You, the, the favor of God is upon you, Mary. Verse 30, but in contrast, the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. And if you, if you look at the way this is structured, it says, Mary, do not continue to be afraid. Don't carry on being afraid because of the words I've spoken to you. What are these words? Isn't it amazing what power these words have on this young lady? Do not continue to be afraid. I just said to you, the favor of God is upon you and now you're afraid. What are these words? I mean, this is strange. If somebody came to you and said, greetings, Alan, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. I mean, I would think this is very unusual. You know, you, I think what's happening here, Mary's sort of, how can the favor of God be on me? I'm a nobody. Isn't it strange? Um, you and I, we both know here at this church, you know, in all the counseling I do, I've discovered this over decades, that people are afraid to abandon themselves to the reality that God's favor is upon them. How can God's favor be upon me? I can see this, this catalog of my own sins scrolling before my eyes. And I can say, no, this can't be real. Because if God knows everything about me, the favor of God cannot be upon me. And I think Mary has the same kind of thought. She's there. How can the favor of God be upon me? There must be something about me that God doesn't know. If God really knew me, he wouldn't. this angel wouldn't come to me thinking I'm this amazing person and say the favor of God is upon you. No, I don't know about this. I think, God, I think you've got the wrong person. I'm not the kind of person that the favor of God should rest upon. I've lived, yeah, I can think of all the things that I've done. And you can imagine the, what's going on in her mind. How, God, how can you say that your favor is on me after all the things that I know about in my own life? All of my sins. And I'm hoping you can see something of the tension that Mary experiences here. I mean, how often do you and I struggle to believe that? After we look at our own lifestyles, our failure, our deception, our lack of love, our lack of everything that we know God desires. And we say to ourselves, God, how can you love a person like me? And I think that's what Mary's doing here. Because she's 
because she's greatly troubled at his words. Not at his appearing, at his words, the things that he said. Amazing how afraid we are to trust in and make ourselves vulnerable to the grace of God and say, it's absolutely true. The grace of God is upon me. I can abandon myself completely. Even in the face of death, I can trust God to carry my soul safely into His presence forever and ever and ever. We're afraid of gospel relief in the face of our sins. Now, this is something that I find very encouraging. What would, what would prove to you that the favor of God was upon you? Let's say you were Mary and you were conscious of your sins and the angel came to you and said the favor of God is upon you and you'll say, yo, I think you got the wrong person because if you look at my life, the favor of God cannot be on me. What kind of concrete proof would you expect? Well, look at Mary. Right here in, in the very next verse, in verse 31, the angel says to her, you will be with, with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Imagine, imagine how much more Mary was thinking, oh, I don't know if I can give birth to one who is going to be called the Son of the Most High. You know, it's almost like she wants to say to the angel, I don't know, I don't know if, you can, if you can see my issue here. I'm just an ordinary person. How can this be possible of me? In fact, it's quite interesting there in, in the Greek when he uses this little term. You know, normally in the, in the older English translations, they use the word behold at the beginning of this verse where, he says, where the angel in verse 30 says, uh, verse 31 you will be with child the Greek actually starts with the word and see it's sort of check this out you know it's sort of common street language in the day it's the common language of the people and it's almost like the angel saying yeah it's amazing hey and look what's going to happen Mary check this out just wait you're going to see what's going to happen now and what does he say you're going to be with child or you're going to become pregnant and it's funny how explicit the Greek there is. It doesn't just say you're going to become pregnant. It says, Mary, you're going to become pregnant in your womb. As if we need that explanation. But to this lady, it's like she needs to understand the concrete nature of what's going on here. So how does Mary know that God's favor is upon her? All she has to do is wait a couple of weeks, maybe four to six weeks. She has to wait and eventually when her menstrual cycle is broken, as soon as that happens, she can go to Joseph and say, you know what, the favor of God is upon me. How do you know, Mary? How do you know that? Because I think I'm pregnant. <laughs> Imagine that moment. You know, that, that, that moment where she realizes she's pregnant is absolute concrete proof from God that God's favor is upon her. Imagine how encouraging that was for her. Imagine... I've become pregnant and that means it's absolute proof that the favor of God is on me because when he says and see he's connecting the pregnancy causally with the favor of God he's saying because the favor of God is upon you you're going to become pregnant so when she becomes pregnant she knows one thing as an absolute fact the favor of God is upon me it's an absolute fact 
There was no mistake. God intended for this to happen. God knows me. And God has poured out His favor upon me in spite of who I am. What a beautiful moment of grace. When I looked at this, when I was studying this text, I couldn't believe what a beautiful picture this was. I've been missing this. All of the years and decades I've been reading this story. And I suddenly realized what a beautiful transaction is taking place here. In fact, um, the UBS uh, Bible Translators Handbooks, if you want to read this text over there, they say the phraseology is quite difficult to translate into some languages. And they say that in some languages you have to translate this like this. The favor of God has happened upon you. (laughs) It's this moment where Mary becomes pregnant and she realizes one thing is true. The favor of God has happened to me. God has come to me and He's poured out His favor on me apart from me doing anything. It was obviously not because I was qualified to do this. It was obvious because God chose me by His grace. And He came to me in a beautiful moment. I think this is such a beautiful moment because God comes to her. He surprises her with the words, God's favor is upon you. And she's like, how can that be? And He says, well, I'm going to give you proof that this is true and you accept it. And when she becomes pregnant, there's a few weeks and she realizes she's pregnant, even though she's a virgin, she knows she hasn't slept with anybody. And she says, this is absolute proof that the favor of God is upon me. And isn't it amazing that Mary did become pregnant and the historical Jesus is an absolutely provable fact in our day, which means the moment Mary becomes pregnant, you as a child of God know that the favor of God is upon you. And that is absolute hard proof. That the favor of God is upon you. That Mary became pregnant. And that's beautiful. That encourages me because it doesn't just stop with Mary. It goes to every true believer. More than that, this is not only a statement that the favor of God is upon Mary. But it's also a statement that Jesus is truly human. He's fully human. What a beautiful thing. I think in the next slide here I've got this picture of this little baby growing in the womb. Jesus grew in the womb just like any other human being grows in the womb. And I think that's probably why the angel used that explicit explicit language. He says, Mary, you will become pregnant in your womb. In case we're thinking that there was some other way in which God brought about the birth of the Lord Jesus so that, you know, He's not actually a human being. He's not fully human. He is fully human. And the language in this text specifies that. And the fact that Mary is pregnant with a fully human baby, a fully human child, is evidence of the grace of God upon her, the favor of God upon her, and every person who is going to enjoy the blessing of this baby who would be born. So, notice in the next verse, in verse, well, same verse, but right at the end there, he says, and you are to give him the name Jesus. You will be with child... And will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. It's interesting, again, you know, something that really surprised me, is that this, you know, the structure of the language here is known as a a dative of advantage. You know, it's like, you're going to have a son. That's not always good news to people in this world, is it? You know... For example, in a family where you've started your family, you've had all of your kids, and then later in life, 10 years later or 12 years later, suddenly you realize that your wife is pregnant again. And you're like, 
yeah, we're very happy to have another child, but yuck, we weren't planning that at this stage. Now we've got to start again. It's, pregnancy is not always good news, is it? I mean, mostly we celebrate pregnancy, but there are cases where people dread a pregnancy. But this date of advantage, you know, it's like you will bear a son. It's a, the, the language is structured in such a way that the angel is saying, do you realize the blessing of what is happening to you? Do you realize how big and ad, how advantageous this is to you? You're going to have a son. It's like winning the lottery a million, million, million times over for this particular son. What a blessing. She's going to have something. She's going to receive something that is of such advantage to her. That generation upon generation upon generation are going to feel the benefits of this moment for Mary. God's favor is upon her and God's favor extends to every person who comes to know Christ as Savior. What a beautiful moment. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Jesus in the Greek and of course in the Hebrew you've got Yeshua. And he later became Joshua. Or the other way around it was Joshua and later became Yeshua. And interestingly enough the name Yeshua or Jesus in, in the Greek in Jesus' day was, was a very common name. There were so many Jews called Jesus. And it's funny how the angel comes and says, you're going to give him the name and you can almost imagine her waiting for this name. You know, if this son is going to be so glorious and amazing, he must have a glorious and amazing name. And she says, call him Jesus. You know, it's like the most common name. And like, wow, you know, that was an anticlimax. You call him Jesus, just like everybody else. He's just going to be like everyone else's name. But at the same time, we know that Jesus means Jehovah saves. Which means that every one of those children walking around with the name Jesus, he's not true to his name. It's just an idea for every one of those other little boys walking around with the name Jesus. But for this boy, this is Jehovah coming to save. What a moment for Mary. I can almost imagine the tinglings in her when she realizes she's going to give birth to a son. And this birth, the son is going to be called Jehovah saves. What a glorious child. You can imagine her thinking to herself, this project is way beyond me. But God has chosen me somehow. I don't know why, but God came to me. God chose me for this purpose. And I'm absolutely willing. You can see that later in the text if you read it. Mary's like, how's this going to be? I'm a virgin. In verse 32, you notice how he goes on. Now Luke carries on and he fills this name Jesus with a whole lot of information that helps us to understand what the angel meant, what God meant when he came to Mary and gave her this promise. Verse 32 says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. In verse 33, He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. What a glorious package of content to put into one name. I mean, who owns this? Who on the planet could ever have a name that means so much that he will be great? Yes, some people will be great, but great as in the terms of Jesus, the Son of God, nobody. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Mary, you're going to give birth to a son, and he's going to be called the Son of the Most High. How staggering this is for her. What a shock. What a shock realization. As this dawns on a... Can you imagine her trying to sleep that night? After this angel came to her. 
And she's not, it's not yet been confirmed that she's pregnant. And she's lying awake at night thinking, Yo, you know, did I dream that? Is this true? Is this going to happen? And obviously when she realizes she's pregnant, it's like, yeah, absolutely, this happened. This wasn't just happening in my head. This is real, man. It's, it's a concrete reality. So on the one side, you can see his humanity again in this name that everybody has a common name that he had. And on the other side, he's got a name that means Jehovah saves. And he owns that in the fullest sense. He's going to be great. Signifying his greatness as God incarnate. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. Designating him as the second member of the Trinity. He's going to be that forever. Who else can be like that forever? And then on the other side, he will rule or he will reign on the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. He's a human king. He's a man. Like my father often says, there is a man at the pinnacle of glory. When we see God, we see Jesus. Like Jesus told Thomas, anyone who's seen me has seen the father. What a beautiful thing that when we are received into eternal glory, we're going to see that very child. That Mary became pregnant with in her womb on that day. We'll see him face to face. Absolute concrete proof of this historical reality. And when we see Jesus as a child of God. When you see Jesus. You absolutely know that the favor of God is upon you. And then maybe just finally I could finish off with this, this little section. What are some of the implications of this? Next week we'll talk something about the deity of Christ. We'll talk about... The fact that He is God, He's fully God. But today, we will, we'll content ourselves to just look at the picture of that tiny little baby growing in the womb that you saw a moment ago. And we will think of some of the implications to us in our lives and to us in the age to come, in eternity. And the first is that this baby, he had to be fully human in order to obey God as a human being. Because none of us have obeyed God as a human being. Even Mary, that's what caused her such trouble. When the angel comes to her and says, the favor of God is upon you, Mary. And she's like, how can the favor of God be upon me when I'm so, when I'm so sinful and weak? I haven't accomplished anything with my life. And now the favor of God is upon me. It seems like too much. It seems like God's got the wrong person. But no, He had the right person. And I can stand before God with joy because there's a man standing in the in front of the throne of God who obeyed God as me what a joy he's my represent is a human being a perfect human being standing before God with my name on him and God looks at him and sees him as me and secondly the son would die as a perfect human being for human beings who have failed so he's a perfect substitute for human beings who cannot possibly pay for their own sins what a wonderful thing that God has provided a man to stand in my place as a man. And thirdly, the son would be the only human being who is qualified to stand between God and all other human beings who have enraged God. He's the only mediator between God and men. He is God, so he can approach God. He's man, so he can approach man. And in Jesus, God makes man beautiful to God. And in Jesus, God makes God beautiful to fallen men. And then fourthly, this son would be a model for God's original plan for human beings to rule over the created order. 
we fail. We look at our world today, we see the exploitation of resources. We see the way in which people abuse the planet. Yes, we're meant to use the resources that God has given us, but the exploitation of this planet, we read in Revelation, God is coming to punish those who destroy the earth. And here we see Jesus on the boat, for example, saying to the storm, saying to the weather, Peace! Be still. In other words, chill. Just chill, storm. And the storm just lies down and says, Yes, Master. And we see in him a man who speaks and the whole of creation just listens. And he lived that as me. I can't do that. I can't tell a storm to quieten down. But we see in Jesus the glorious man who can speak to nature and responds. Then we see the sun would be the perfect example of human life in this world. What an encouraging and what a great blessing it is. What an encouraging thing and a great blessing it is to us as we're struggling through this world to know that Jesus is fully human. And because Jesus lived in this world as a child of God, depending on the Holy Spirit, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are motivated to work toward personal purity and holiness in their lives. It can be done if you're a child of God. You can progress. We're not saying you can be perfect as Jesus was perfect. But you can aim in that direction. You can be motivated higher and higher and higher to love others as Jesus loved. We have a perfect example. And then the sun would be a pattern of our glorified bodies. What an amazing thing it is, for example, to see the risen Christ in Revelation chapter 1. Whose eyes are like blazing fire. This one who shines like the sun in all of its brilliance. You and I as believers in the Lord Jesus are going to look like that. We don't know what we're going to be, but when we see Him, we'll be like Him. Because we will see Him as He is. Remember Paul in Philippians 3.21, he says that Christ is going to make our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. And I'm longing for that day, because now we see the glory in Christ. And what an amazing thing. Imagine Mary thinking, Christ, through this Christ, I'm going to receive all of these blessings. It's too good to be true. And for the first time in this world, something that sounds too good to be true is not too good to be true. It's truth defined. And then the Son would be the only one who can truly understand and feel for us in our failures, being fully human. Imagine Mary, aware of all of her failures and her weaknesses, and the angel comes to her and says, You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And she's like, but I'm a failure. I've never accomplished anything. In my society, I'm not even married. I'm not even, my voice doesn't even count. No one listens to me. I'm a little child still. But the Lord's favor is upon her. And the fact that Jesus was born in that very same society, in that very same culture, and he grew up understanding the very same things. He knew what it was like to be overlooked and not listened to. He knew what it was like to face poverty and sorrow, the death of his friends. Jesus Christ knew what it was to be hungry and thirsty and tired. And so when you are any of those things, you've got somebody, you've got a glorious man who can look at you and say, I totally understand what you're going through. And then finally, the son will be fully human forever. He's going to be all of these things. Forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, we're going to see this glorious man. 
And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, don't we? That this baby was actually born. This baby is fully human. This baby can understand me. But this baby, he opens the way for us to ride on the blessing of his fame, of his accomplishments, of his merits, of his glory. So I conclude with this. So in this surprise moment, where Gabriel appears to Mary, we discover that we struggle to grasp and to surrender ourselves to the vast kindness of God in the gospel. God proved his intentions to Mary, a virgin, were good in granting her that miraculous pregnancy. The son born was a thrilling blessing and advantage to Mary and to you and I by extension. The son born was fully human as well as fully divine. It is important that the son is fully human because he is the true Christian's representative obedience. He is the true Christian's substitute sacrifice. He is the true Christian's mediator between God and men. He is the true Christian's ruler over creation. He is the true Christian's example in life. He is the true Christian's pattern of glorification. He is the true Christian's sympathetic high priest. And he is all of these forever and ever. So you are called upon to worship and trust this son with joy today. Because he is everything you need to live a well-adjusted life before God and men forever and ever. Lord, thank you for this Christmas day again. Thank you for the blessing of Jesus. Lord, we can't even imagine what it was like for Mary as she, as she was just going about her, bu her business one day and Gabriel... Gabriel, an angel from heaven, comes to her and tells her, Hey, God's pleasure is upon you, Mary. And she's like, I can't believe it. And Lord, thank you that that happens to us as well. That as the gospel comes to our ears, even in this age, thousands of years after that, that we cannot believe that the favor of God has come to somebody like me. It's got to be a mistake that God, God's favor is upon me. But Lord, thank you that it's true. And thank you that you are able to draw men and women and children into this great kingdom today through this message. That you're able to make the Christ look beautiful. You're able to make a person fall to their knees in repentance and come begging for mercy at the foot of the cross. And Lord, I pray that this Christmas would bring that great joy for many who hear this message today. We thank you that we can remember Jesus and we pray that you would help us to honor you for the rest of this day as we enjoy Christmas Day together. We thank you for these things and we praise you in Jesus' lovely name. Amen.